filled with the Holy Spirit, Stephen gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they covered their ears and with a loud shout, all rushed together against him. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you to join us here in this place this morning, and we trust that you have kept your promise and are here in our midst. May my words now be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. The book of Acts is the story of the spread of the early church. And the early chapters tell that story by recounting a series of sermons preached by Christ's first apostles. There are, of course, other things going on in the story. Healings, uh, descriptions of communal life, the institution of deacons, and more. But I think that this set of sermons that we have recorded in Acts provides a good spine along which we can track the beginnings of Christ's church in the immediate aftermath of his resurrection and ascension. Now, the most famous sermon we have in Acts is the first one, Peter's sermon on Pentecost. Uh, You probably know it well. St. Peter stands before the crowd, which has gathered to see what's going on with all the languages that are being spoken. And he tells them that first... They are responsible for the killing of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Then, when they are cut to the heart by that message, he tells them that they can repent and return to God and be saved. That Christ's mercy and forgiveness are available to them, even them who crucified him. And this is the basic outline, in fact, the first three sermons that we have in the book of Acts. That Pentecost sermon is in Acts chapter 2, but in chapter 3, after Peter and John heal a lame man in Solomon's portico in the temple, another crowd gathers and Peter begins to preach again. And it's basically the exact same sermon. You all killed Jesus, who was the Son of God. But now he is alive, and forgiveness and mercy are available to you. Repent, believe in him, and be saved. And for preaching like this, Peter and John are arrested, and they're brought before the Sanhedrin. Now we're in Acts chapter 4, and the Sanhedrin asks them in whose name they performed that healing in the temple. And in response, Peter, you guessed it, begins to preach. And it's, again, the same sermon. You all killed Jesus, who was the Son of God. But now he is alive. And forgiveness and mercy are available to you. Repent, believe in him, and be saved. And this sermon is really working, by the way, not on the Sanhedrin. You can tell, though, why Peter would keep coming back to this same outline again and again, Thousands of people are being added to the church. And of course, this makes the Jewish leadership desperate to stop 
this preaching. And they've already warned Peter to stop preaching about Jesus, but he and the other disciples have completely ignored them. They've been preaching, they've been arrested, they've been sent to prison. The Holy Spirit, in fact, has busted open the doors of the prison, and they've gone right back to preaching this forbidden message right there in the temple. And so the Sanhedrin, this ruling court of the Jews, is at its wit's end. All this preaching about Jesus is driving them crazy. And then along comes Stephen. Now what we have in our assigned reading this morning from the very end of Acts chapter 7 is the final moment of a chapter-long sermon delivered by Stephen. And of course we read about his stoning in its aftermath. But let's get a little context for what we're looking at here. At the end of Acts chapter 6, the previous chapter, Stephen, this apostle of Jesus, is described as, quote, full of grace and power and as doing great wonders and signs among the people. Obviously, the Jewish leadership wants to stop this guy, just like they wanted to stop Peter and the other apostles. But Luke, the author of Acts, says that they can't refute the wisdom and spirit with which Stephen is speaking. So they do what high schoolers have been doing since the dawn of time and begin to spread rumors about what Stephen is saying, that he's blaspheming Moses and the law, which he is certainly not actually doing, and that he is also blaspheming the temple itself. So I want to take just a second here to look at these accusations. You'll remember that Jesus specifically said that he did not come to do away with the law and that he was not a replacement for Moses. He was instead the fulfillment and the completion of these things. John says this early in his gospel, writing that while the law came through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So this accusation is a spurious one. Stephen, preaching the name and deeds of Jesus Christ, is not blaspheming Moses or the law. But he's also accused of blaspheming the temple. And that, well, that's a different story. You can see how this, at least from the perspective of the Sanhedrin and the Jewish leadership, might be an accurate accusation. They're not lying about this one. This one's not made up. Unlike their false accusations about his statements about Moses and the law, Stephen is saying things about the temple that to them do sound blasphemous. And the penalty for blasphemy is death. So Stephen is brought before this ruling court, the Sanhedrin, to stand trial for his life. And when Caiaphas, the high priest at the time, the very same man who had presided over Jesus' trial, when Caiaphas asks Stephen about these accusations against him, Stephen, like Peter before him, decides to preach a sermon. But this is not going to be the kind of sermon that we're used to hearing in Acts. Remember the outline of that sermon. You all killed Jesus who was the Son of God, but now he is alive 
Forgiveness and mercy are available to you. Repent and believe in him and be saved. Short and sweet, right? But Stephen goes the other way completely. He decides to retell the entire history of the Jewish people. That's what fills all of Acts chapter 7. Stephen begins with the calling of Abraham, the story of Joseph in Genesis, and he tells the story of the chosen people. He gets all the way to 1 Kings before they interrupt him and stone him to death. And what finally drives his listeners into their murderous frenzy is Stephen's climactic accusation against them. This is Acts 7, verses 51 and 53, which come just before our assigned reading begins. Stephen says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. So he kind of gets to Peter's accusation there at the end, doesn't he? Remember Peter's sermon, you all killed Jesus. Stephen says much the same. Your ancestors persecuted the prophets, every single one of them, and now you all have killed the one to whom the prophets were pointing. Now imagine Stephen, as a good Christian preacher would, was just about to tell them that forgiveness and mercy could be found in Jesus' name. But they don't let him get that far. They grind their teeth at him. And when he announces to them that he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God, they cry out with a loud voice, stop up their ears, rush at him, and kill him. This is literally, and I'm not listening to you, la, 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 sort of moment here. They clap their hands over their ears, drown him out with shouts, drag him out of the city and pelt him with stones until he is dead. All to get him to be quiet. They cannot stand what he is saying to them. Why do they react like this so violently? Why are they so desperate for Stephen to be silenced? Well, it's because of the story that Stephen has been telling. He's been preaching this sermon, recounting the history of their people and casting them, his listeners, and the most powerful people in Jerusalem as the bad guys. He's casting them as the villains every step of the way. Stephen stands accused of blaspheming the temple. And so as his defense, he preaches the story of Israel, showing how the entire history of their people has been pointing to this righteous one who is to come and how in their rejection and murder of this righteous one, Jesus Christ, it is actually they who have blasphemed against God. Blasphemy, he might as well be saying. Look in the mirror, you hypocrites. You 
are the blasphemers. When Jesus cleanses the temple in John chapter 2, he tells the money changers that they have made his father's house into a den of trade. And in response, they ask Jesus to show them a sign, something to prove that he has the authority to say these things to them. And Jesus says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days. And here John writes in chapter 2, verse 21, but Jesus was speaking of the temple of his body. And so Jesus makes an explicit connection between the brick and mortar temple that God had commanded his people to build, Yahweh's dwelling place amongst his people, and the temple of his own body, which would be sacrificed once for all for the sins of the world. Jesus, by his life and ministry, makes the temple obsolete. He is, in his person and work, an affront to the temple religion of the Sanhedrin. He's putting Caiaphas, the high priest, out of a job. These sacrifices you're making, Jesus is proclaiming, are not going to get the job done. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Blasphemy. It's no wonder they stone Stephen. He has shown them that they are, in fact, guilty of the very blasphemous crime, punishable by death, that they accuse him of. They have missed the greatest truth in the history of the world, the very thing that their own religion has been pointing to this whole time. When Jesus died, the veil of the temple was torn in two. The, the system that they think of as the temple sacrifices to atone for sin. This entire thing is brought to an end. Sure, the building is still there and would stand until it was destroyed in 70 AD, but it was no longer the place where men could be reconciled to God. Now, men are reconciled to God in one place, and in one place alone, in Jesus. At the foot of Christ's cross, at Calvary, in the shed blood of God's own Son, He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No one comes to the Father but by Him. So it is no blasphemy to say that this building, the temple, no longer means what it once did. God now dwells where? Paul proclaims it clearly in his letter to the Colossians. In him, that is, in Jesus Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Where once 
God's dwelling place was in the temple or the tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies. It is now in His Son, Jesus Christ. And now the blasphemy, the real blasphemy, is to reject this Christ. To betray and murder the Son of God. To turn your back on Jesus. Because He is now the place His body and blood, broken and shed for you. He is now the place to be made right with God. And yet, despite this blasphemy, in the face of his own betrayal and murder, Christ's work for the salvation of the world is successful. It is finished and he is victorious. The temporary temple has been routed, the veil torn in two, and soon enough, not one stone will stand on top of another. The true temple, Jesus Christ, the righteous, God's own son, sacrificed for sinners, has been raised. He is standing at the right hand of God in glory. And the end of Stephen's sermon had he been allowed to finish it. The end of every good Christian sermon, like the ones that Peter has been preaching to this point in Acts, and the one that we endeavor to preach here every single Sunday, that sermon would have pointed to, would have proclaimed the grace and mercy available to sinners. Even to the very people, like the Sanhedrin, like you and me, the very people who have betrayed Christ Jesus. And so the repeated sermon that Peter has preached through these first few chapters of Acts, the sermon that Stephen preaches here in Acts chapter 7, they are the sermon for us this morning. They are the bad news and the good news proclaimed to you. We're going to go even a little further back than Stephen did. Stephen started with Abraham and Joseph. We're going to go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Here is your sermon. Bad news first. You all killed and betrayed Jesus. You started doing it when you decided to be your own God. When you decided that you were in charge of what was right and wrong for yourself. And you've kept right on doing it even up to today. But there is good news for you. This Jesus, whom you killed, is now alive again. And now in his victory, forgiveness and mercy are available to you. Don't turn your back on him. Don't reject him. Confess. Repent. Believe this good news that Christ Jesus has died for your sins once and for all, reconciling you to God forever. In his name, new life and life eternal is yours. Amen.